Welcome to Fine Tuning with Du Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Thursday, May 27th, 2021. You wanted to stuff off by mentioning that like today we have like a couple of things going live over at Paramount Plus, right? Yeah, Rugrats is going live at Paramount Plus, and then Eden mm. is and Camp Cretaceous are on Netflix. And then Cruella tomorrow. Are you? What are you going to do, Jim? Are you going to go to the theater? Are you going to spring for? I don't know. I mean, you, Plus. you had said so many nice things about the yes. Craig Gillespie film. I have not been to a theater since the last film you were associated with, Pixar's Onward. Now, by the way, Drew wrote a great, you know, making a book. Pick it up. Yeah, perfect Memorial Day gift. Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. You know, tomorrow is kind of a crazy day. I'm out running all sort of nuptial related errands. My niece Priyanka got married this past Saturday. Likewise, my nephew Nick is getting married later this summer. And my sister, because she wanted to dodge paying taxes, had the gift sent to my house and I have to take it to her house. So I feel like I'm out doing all those sorts of errands and I may earn a treat by doing that. So I may actually go to a theater and catch Cruella and actually watch something on the big screen again. Or Quiet Place, too, also. I mean, it sounds. It feels like no. the summer is really kicking off this weekend. Well, no, no, again, don't get me wrong. I want A Quiet Place, too, to make as much money as possible, likewise Corolla, but I'm not a horror movie guy. I have not seen Quiet Place 1, and I'm <laughs> not seeing Quiet Place 2. I don't need big spider creatures that come and eat you because you make noise, because I'm a noisy guy, all right? <laughs> I'd be taken down to the first 30 seconds of the invasion. All right. It's true. <laughs> you know. They have no patience for anecdotes. No, Jim. that's it exactly. <laughs> you know, hey, let me tell you a, long, you know, a very long story. You know, and down I'd yeah. go. I wanted to ask, though, what did you make of the Amazon deal this week? Oh, it was interesting. I, I'm very interested in what, what it means. And then today we, we found out that Bezos is, is leaving. So, yeah. It's been an interesting week for Amazon, mm -hmm. but you know, one of the big movies that that MGM has coming out this later this year is Adam's Family Two. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, yeah. But what was fascinating for me reading the stories and the trades were basically they're buying MGM to make sure you stay longer on the site and shop. It's such a strange entry point. A notion of we need that film library because we need you to loiter. And don't get me wrong, Amazon has been creating great content. They've got the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're no slouches, but it's just so weird. You know, the whole notion of we need that because we need you to come here and loiter and buy things. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. They have that Tomorrow War. Did you see the trailer yes, for that? Yes, It looks fun. No, it does. It does. I don't know. I, I have this uneasy feeling that sometime in the future, we're going to see a film with the, the same premise where suddenly these strange people arrive in the middle of a sports game and, hi, we're from the Walt Disney Company in 2021. We need you to go to a theme park. <laughs> we need you to buy us a augmented reality peripheral based off of a failed earlier toy <laughs> initiative. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Weren't you around? Didn't you come to a... I was at that press day for that thing. What was it called? Imagination something? Yeah. Yeah. Playmation. Playmation. There we go. Yeah. 
Do you remember going into the faux child's bedroom? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, with now put on the, the gauntlet and shoot at the Hulk figure. And it's like, hey, you think I have hand-eye coordination, don't you? That was a weird, that was a weird That event. was a weird yeah. event. Okay. Um, all right. On to far more successful Disney-related topics. Did you see they've just continued the Inside Pixar series? I saw that. God, there are so many of these There now. are, there are. But I, I want to say this most recent set, which uh, went live this past Friday, they're all grouped under the heading Unpacked. These ones are narrated by comedian podcast hoster W. Kamau Bell. And I've enjoyed all of these. I mean, they have mixed them up. But I honestly think this set, the episodes uh, 16 through 20, may be the best of the bunch. Yeah, they were really good. No, I totally agree. I especially enjoyed the squint test where they were talking about, you know, the use of shape in Pixar films and how the messages that are put across. But on the other hand, the inner drive one made me think back to the Cars 3 press event. Were you and I together in the car when they ran it around the track? Yes, I have a very flattering picture of the both of us in our uh, helmets. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the Disney version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where they have the terminally depressed robot with the giant head? Yes, yes. That's me. Pretty much the size of the head of the robot is the way I look at that press event. But the weird thing is it reminded me of the stuff we learned at that press event. And there really was a lot of impressive stuff that they did for Cars 3. It was kind of a disappointment that that one didn't do as well as it. I think it should have. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. So four new Inside Pixar shorts under the heading Unpacked. Definitely go check those out, folks. Meantime, we are now three weeks out from Luca debuting on Disney Plus on uh, June 18th. And earlier this week, Chronicle Books was nice enough to send Drew and I a review copy of The Art of Luca. Very handsome hardcover. Doesn't hit store shelves till Tuesday, June 8th. And this is one of these moments that clearly demonstrates the difference between myself and Mr. Taylor. Will you tell the nice people what you did with the copy again of this 176-page book? I left the shrink wrap on and I put it on the shelf next to all my other art of mm -hmm. Pixar books, which I have a few holes, but I am waiting for Pixar campus mm -hmm. to reopen because they have a great uh, sale on those books. True, true. So yeah. I, but it is it is being preserved until after I watch the film, which will be very soon. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still want to maintain the magic a little bit. Well, okay, that that's true. Again, very self-disciplined, serious journalist. You know, whereas I am a real Rosebud was a sled, Bruce Willis was dead all along kind of guy. I tore the shrink wrap off immediately and devoured the art of Luca. Really like what I saw. Have to sit on the real news till, well, not June 8th uh, when the book comes out, but well, after June 18th when Luca begins streaming on Disney+. Plus. Oh, the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by storybook destinations trusted travel partner of the jim hill media podcast network for a worry-free travel experience please book online at storybookdestinations.com so before we put luca in the rearview mirror of our vespa we should mention that they released a new featurette for the film back on may 20th did you see this one yeah that's the one where like jim gaffigan and uh, mm -hmm. Maya Rudolph are interviewed, right? Yeah, the, the one yeah. that, you know, stresses friendship and the friendships that we make during the summer when we're kids are the, the, the ones we will hang to. I, I thought it was very, very sweet. Speaking of other things we can't really talk about without spoiling things, 
I know we have talked previously about how Disney stumbled in their handling of the season two finale of Amphibia, but it finally aired this past Saturday, May 22nd. Uh, So what did you think? I thought it was awesome. Mm. I thought it was so good. And by the way, Jim, that was so democratic Mm. that I think you should run for office (laughs) that they, they stumbled. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was really wonderful. Mm. And I love that they gave us a little, sneak peek at season three at the very end yeah yeah so the whole this episode may has some intense final scenes it may be scary for younger viewers kind of scary for older viewers too i I, it's been a while since i've seen disney uh, television animation do something quite that intense listen jim we both know if keith david is in your disney animated (laughs) project (laughs) <laughs> something intense is gonna happen that's all i'm gonna say yeah it's very true what i enjoyed about this was getting that little taste of season two of owl house oh i didn't see that i didn't see that promo because i oh. i think my recording cut off i i dvr'd it like the old man that i am so i think i didn't see that okay well, but now i'm jealous it's online search term you want it is return to the isles but that got dropped separately from the show on May 20th. It just looks like season two is going. Lots of fun places. And it was renewed for season three as well. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. But we still don't know when season two is coming, right? Well, Jim, it's it's all a nice waiting game these days. Okay. All right. That, that's a polite way of putting it. Uh, oh, uh, before we, we step away from Owl House, uh, have you seen where the Mystery Shack has actually made a king plush? Yes. The, the little dog wearing the skull character from the show. They put it out there for twenty four ninety nine, and I guess the first wave just went instantaneously. The Mystery Shack is not completely above board, Jim, but they fill in those gaps <laughs> that fans of these shows have because mm-hmm. Disney doesn't actually produce the merchandise. Is that how you would... Describe it. Did you see this past week where Alex Hirsch was talking about the art of book for Gravity Falls? Yes. Right as I read that tweet, Jim, (laughs) steam came out of my ears. Uh, Yeah. I honestly don't get this. You had everybody at publishing and signed off on it. They had done a wonderful job. And then it's just like, eh, we we don't want to sell to that audience. And it's just sort of like, really? And they'd already done the third book. Remember when the actual hardcover book came out of the Dipper supposedly owned? Yes, I did. I did this whole thing at Gallery Nucleus. I don't remember if Alice came or not, but in Alhambra, there's this great gallery. And we did this Farewell to the Falls event where it was like the book launch. Mm -hmm. And we did a whole art show and Alex was there and it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And for the finale, which I'm still, I'm still, I'm still wish we had season three of that one, Jim. But yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's just it's sometimes standing outside of these these shows and outside of the decisions that are made, not necessarily by the talented folks who actually make these shows at Disney Television. Or excuse me, you're going to correct me again because we have the new name, uh, Disney branded, branded Television. Yeah. Okay, see, I can occasionally retain a fact, but yeah, it just kind of kills me that you have played. Places like Mystery Shack that have to step up because there are clearly fans of the show would that want a King Plush, and Disney won't do it, so we will. And speaking of which, that yeah. supposedly Second Wave will be available in in June. If you want information about that, go over to MysteryShack.com. But you didn't hear it from me or Drew, okay? No, 
No. So again, we had Amphibia season two finale promoting the season two premiere of Owl House, which again is still months away. It's hard to top the Teen Titans Go See Space Jam. <laughs> I stood outside of this project and you're kidding me. An 80 minute long original film that's basically those characters doing a watch party for Space Jam, A New Legacy. Am, am I reading this right? Well, they're watching the first movie. Oh. Yeah. And, and so it's airing on television ahead of the new movie. This is big, you know, like rerunning Back to the Future before Back to the Future is in theaters. Which okay. Now. They all did. right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, it, now it's making sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're going to put it on Cartoon Network on June 20th at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. And then there, there'll be a digital release. From Warner Brothers Home Entertainment on July 27th to really no, get you in the mood. That actually, yeah. that actually sounds fun. So again, the original Space Jam from 1996, as opposed to the movie that doesn't come out till, oh God, that's still July, right? Yeah, July. Okay. Yeah. This kind of dovetails into the next item you suggested to talk about for today's show, which is how many people remember the Garbage Pail Kids cards? They debuted back in 85 and... To be honest, I was too old to be collecting them at this point, but I do remember a very good friend of mine, his very first job when he got out to Hollywood was working on the Garbage Pail Kids movie in 87. And this gentleman has gone on to be very successful. In fact, he's teaching film editing now at UCLA, and it's actually edited some very high-profile comedies. But I just remember you know, hearing from him in town when, when he was working at the Garbage Kill movie, which, which had literally like $1.45 for its effects budget. How do you edit together garbage? How do you make this work as a film? So to see that we have a Garbage Pail Kid animated series coming from Danny McBride, which is going to be produced by Michael Eisner's company, is that correct? Well, yeah, he owns Tops now, mm -hmm. so that was I think that was w where the cards came from. Mm -hmm. And then what is his company called, Jim Tornante? Is I think of Garbage Pail Kids, and and again, I get that people collected the cards, and it was gross, but it was funny. But the fact that Danny McBride is on board with this, and frankly, Eisner's animation company, I, have you yet finally gotten around to watching BoJack? No, but I have no excuse. And I know Tuca and Birdie is coming back yes, to Cartoon Network. Yes, so. the writing there, coupled with the animation, the voice talent they get for these things, second to none. So it's one of these things where it's like, dear Lord, I'm actually going to have to sit down and watch the Garbage Pale Kids animated series because of the people who were involved. Coming soon to HBO Max, yeah. now a subsidiary of Discovery Channel, Inc. Again, while we're talking about subscription streaming services, we have the news from Peacock about the Boss Baby sequel, which I'm fascinated knowing the way the animation world works, the, the notion that they've crept up the release date of this thing from September 17th to July 2nd? A lot of overtime. Uh, yeah. Those DreamWorks animators are plugging their way out. <laughs> God. And it's going to premiere on Peacock the uh, very same day it's launched into theaters. But again, July 2nd. That's normally a fairly busy date. But again, I guess with this summer, where everything is still a little tentative, a little shaky, Right. So I, I have to ask, speaking of um, the summer of 2021, just today, we saw our first Really For Real trailer 
for The Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. And, and what did we think? I thought it looked great. Mm-hmm. It looked like Romancing the Stone meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I'm in, Jim. Okay. I'm in. And the and the ILM visual effects look really stunning. They do. They do. Uh, everyone I'm talking with at Disney, when they talk about Jungle Cruise, it, it's, they believe it's the next Pirates. Yeah, I just wonder if the Disney Premiere Plus element of it will sort of prematurely doom it in terms of becoming a franchise yeah because it's not just in theaters it's on disney plus as well and i don't think there's been a great success with that premiere plus access just because something is on a streaming service doesn't necessarily mean that it's not it can't go on to be hugely successful. And and in fact, that brings us to what we're going to be talking about on the second half of today's show, Spirit Untamed, the new DreamWorks animation film, which arrives uh, in theaters next week, right? June 4th? Yep. You and I have both watched the Elaine Bogman film ahead. We, we were, they were nice enough to send along a screener. And, you know, it's really handsome. I mean, coupled with the fact that widescreen, a widescreen animated film. I'm actually halfway tempted to run out and see this thing in theaters just to, you know, because again, watching it on your laptop when it's a widescreen, that's cool. But still, it's like, right. you know, I'd love to see these images blown up big. How did you like the story? How did you like the what they did? Listen, this is not the most sophisticated story. This is not soul. There aren't, you know, deep questions no, and no. philosophical quandaries that we're getting into here. But mm-hmm. I thought it was very charming. Mm-hmm. It was nicely animated, great voice cast. Oh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is in it. Mm-hmm. Walt Goggins. Julianna Moore. Yeah. I just think it was Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, it, it's just an, it's just a lovely, fun, you know, kind of um, movie. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I think people will, too. Obviously, I'm not the target audience. This is aimed at a Neither very Neither you nor I are girls 4 to 12. But on the other hand, right. if, you are, if you have a girl 4 to 12 in your life, this will hit and hit big. Or if you have a girl 4 to 12 in your heart. <laughs> Jim, you feel (laughs) as if this demographic is aligning with you. Speaking of which, though, of course, obviously, Spirited Untamed, and of course, the animated series that this is based on, uh, Spirited Riding Free, all came from a, you know, another project, uh, another DreamWorks project, uh, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. And when Drew and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about that film. When is the last time you saw Spirit of the Cimarron? I actually saw it not that long ago because I did a ranking of every single. DreamWorks That's right. That's movie. right. You did. Yeah. So I was I was pretty impressed. You know, it's it's a talk about a beautiful looking movie. Good lord, it is just gorgeous. And they tried their damnedest when Jeffrey took director Lorna Cook and Kelly Asbury and Ronnie Del Carmen. I, I want to say who is an art director in the project. They basically did a tour of the American national parks. They went to Yellowstone, Yosemite, Grand Canyon, went up to the Grand Tetons, Glacier National Park, all with the notion of this is going to be this very American story. And so, you know, we have to do right by these spaces. And But at the same time, the period when they were working at on Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, while it was in production at DreamWorks, he re- Jeffrey referred to as the worst period of his career, but not because of the movie, but rather because of what was going on in the marketplace. Spirit comes out in May of 2002, 
But the year previous, Shrek had come out. Shrek had a $60 million budget and went on to make $420 million. And again, it was the, the biggest success DreamWorks had had to that date. It's the fourth highest grossing film for the 2001. And, and by the way, the third highest grossing film drew uh, was Monsters, Inc. So here's Jeffrey looking at the huge pile of money these two CG films have just made. And it, it, as he told the, the, the New York Times, it's like, I think the idea of a traditional story being told using traditional animation is likely a thing of the past. But Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, and then the film that came out the year after it, Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, to Jeffrey's way of thinking at this point, they're too far along to abandon. And I just wanted your thoughts on, given what you and I know about what happened 10 years later, where I think how many of DreamWorks Animation's features have did we see abandoned well into development? I mean, we had things like Monkeys of Mumbai, Boo, Larkin, the thing that, that Josh was associated with, uh, Me and My Shadow? Yep. And also, as we learned, Jim, mm. Tusker. Yes, yes, one. so that's five that he was able to, no, we've spent millions, we've done years of development, we're walking away from it. And, and you got to wonder, was it the hard lesson that he learned from Spirit and Sinbad that even if you spent a lot of money, you still should, you know, it's, if you're just sensing it's it's the wrong film at the wrong time in the wrong medium, uh, you shut it down. He went on to say that we'd started on Spirit and Sinbad, so we had to finish them. But by then, I knew that CG films like Shrek were the way forward. I just couldn't tell anyone at the time, but but I knew. When you looked at Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, did the notion that this was supposed to have been Lion King 2.0 ever occur to you? or? No, and we should probably say to people who haven't seen the movie mm -hmm. that one of the interesting things is that the animals don't actually talk. Yep. They have a kind of voice. It's almost a Terrence Malick mm -hmm. style mm -hmm. voiceover. Yep. And Spirit is voiced ostensibly by Matt Damon. It turns out he was the third pick. You know Jeffrey Katzenberg's habit of, you know, I need the biggest possible star to be a voice, voice talent in my film. So evidently, you know, when he would, when they're working on, on Spirit, he wanted a genuine Hollywood legend to voice the character. So the, the first guy he went to was Robert Redford. And Redford politely turns him down. And so he defaults to the, the next beloved figurehead in Hollywood. And that's Tom Hanks. It's same thing. It's just, you know, Hanks was, you know, thank you. It's very flattering, but no. And so Matt Damon was pick number three. Given that Damon just the year, a year or so previous, I'm blanking the name of the character he voiced in Titan AE, but it's like, it's not even his animation debut. Oh, yes, yes. But again, one of the reasons you, you go after Robert Redford, you go after Tom Hanks or, or, or Matt Damon is you want your, your film to be perceived as important you want you know because face it a movie about horses you've already got guaranteed girls four to twelve are going to show up and likewise they're going to drag their mothers you got two of the four quadrants that you need to be a giant box office hit the definition of the four quadrant hit is you you get males you get females you get people under 25 and you get people over 25 
But again, you're in this weird spot in, in animation history where traditional is, is going in the rearview mirror really fast in regard to audiences' tastes. Disney learned that the hard way when they did their big push to return to hand-drawn animation with 2010's Princess and the Frog, and, and that underperformed. And then we entered that weird period where in order to confuse the males in the audience, you know, who wouldn't go to a Disney princess movie, did you ever get that borne out when you were at Disney? Did they ever actually talk about the belief that why Princess and the Frog underperformed was because the movie had princess in its title? I had heard that. Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, it gave us John Carter instead of Princess of Mars. <laughs> well, no, know, that's so. it exactly. Or more to the point, we got Frozen as opposed to the Snow Queen. Uh, or, Snow Queen. Or, or Tangled yeah. instead of Rapunzel. Now, speaking of Disney princesses, again, because they wanted that, that Disney magic, that's one of the reasons they went after Lorna Cook to be one of the co-directors of Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. She had her definite Lion King chops. Uh, Lorna had worked on the animation of the adult Simba. Likewise, had been part of the story team, but she'd also worked on Belle. And then, what is it? The second director was, was Kelly Asbury, right? Yes, our dearly departed Kelly. Yeah, yeah we just lost him last year. But then again, you know, the notion of you're going for that four quadrant hit and, you know, and music was obviously a big part of Lion King's success. And, you know, that was Sir Elton John and Sir Tim Rice. So this time around, Jeffrey recruits uh, Brian Adams, right? Nothing says American West like a Canadian oh, pop star. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> They have majestic <laughs> mountains too. They have places where horses can run. They do three months out of the year, of course. But That's you true. know, but the, the key part again, supposedly to get you know the dads and the sons to come out and see Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Let's talk about him hiring John Fusco, the gentleman who wrote right. wrote the screenplays for Young Guns and then Young Guns Two. The notion was he wanted this to be both a classic Western, you know, to hit all the Western tropes, but at the same time appeal to a modern audience. And what are your thoughts on this sort of thing? When you hire a a guy who's good at live action screenplays to do a script for an animated film? Well, from what I understand, it was not the easiest process, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, going through all these people, you see why they made sense, Mm -hmm. at least on paper. Yeah. You know, whether or not they worked out in the end, you know. But when I look at the finished product, it's not untalented. There's some strange stuff in it. Like everyone talks about the end of the film where the Indian warrior Little Creek and uh, Spirit are effectively trapped at the edge of the Grand Canyon by the U.S. Cavalry. And then Spirit jumps over the Grand Canyon. You've seen that more recently than I did. Does that still play or... I don't think I even realized it was the Grand Canyon, Ah, Uh, but it definitely had shades of Bart and Homer jumping (laughs) over the Springfield Gorge. (laughs) I will say that. I'm king of the world! (laughs) You know, yes. Well, (laughs) the weird part of it, I found out today, you remember how the the opening sequence of the film, you're following that bald eagle doing that amazing sort of flyover. And then at the very end of the movie for like, you know, a tenth of a second, you know, here's here's spirit and his his horse bride paint. And suddenly out of nowhere, the eagle comes back. Uh, supposedly, there was an iteration of this film that they actually test screened 
uh, where at one point you were supposed to get the sense that spirit had somehow been blessed with the eagle spirit. And so when it came time to jump the Grand Canyon, the effects department at DreamWorks created this sort of, you can almost see them. Maybe they're there, maybe they're not, but giant eagle wings. So his eagle spirit helps spirit and Little Creek make it across the Grand Canyon. Uh, there we go. Okay. All right. That's the exact noise. Evidently audiences made at the test screening. So it's just sort of like, okay, let's not do that. So <laughs> it got pulled out. Given where you used to work, I particularly wanted to share this detail with you. Because remember, when we, we talked about it at the top of the segment, how Lorna and Kelly and Jeffrey go tour the America's great national parks. But it would, when it come time, comes time to study horses and to, to make sure that, you know, I mean, face it, because we, we, you know, they did horses and in Princess of Egypt and, and Tuvlio, is that the name of the horse in the Rodel Dorado? Jim, your knowledge of the Rodel Dorado far exceeds my own. <laughs> okay. All right. So they'd already done horses, but they wanted to do the best horses DreamWorks had ever done before. So where do they go? They go like three streets over from, you know, the, the Glendale, you know, DreamWorks campus to the Los Angeles Equestrian Center on Riverside. Have you ever been there or? Uh, I have. Yes. Yeah. And it was also very fun to just drive to work and have to wait for the horses to cross the street. You know, I always enjoyed making the drive over from the Disney lot to WDI. And, and as you describe it, it's just, oh, I got away for the horses. They're very cool in this, this, you know, very Los Angeles setting to have to, well, let's pause here for the horse. By the way, the, the actual, the horse, the, the physical, you know, horse spirit in the film is based on a specific breed of horse. It's called a Kiger Mustang. It's a, a breed of wild horse that historically resisted being domesticated, becoming beasts of burden. And so their numbers dwindled, but a breeding program brought them back in the, the 60s and 70s. So when DreamWorks was looking for a unique style horse to, to be the star of this film, they zeroed in on the Kiger Mustang. And in fact, they reached out to the Bureau of Land Management and effectively adopted a newly born Kiger Mustang Colt. Uh, his name was Donner, who was born at a ranch up in, in Bend, Oregon. As the film moved along, and remember, you know, the earlier part of Spirit, uh, Stallion of the Cimarron, we see the title character is a young Colt, and so they would send artists up to sketch it so that, you know, they, they'd have the distinct look of that horse. But it's 20 years after the film was released. And because the film was four years in development before it was, was released, Donner, the horse they adopted, is still alive. He, he's, he's just recently celebrated his 25th birthday. He lives, it's a ranch in Santa Barbara. Return to Freedom, an organization that actually champions the cause of keeping wild horses free. And he's up there enjoying his golden years on 300 acres of pristine California pasture. So we have Jeffrey Katzenberg doing everything he can to make Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron a hit. But as we mentioned, in his heart, he's like, audiences' tastes have changed. They prefer the CG stuff. And so when did you first hear the term tradigital? <laughs> the term what? Tradigital. I have never heard this term, Jim. You are pushing something on me right now. I'll give you the spelling, okay. folks. It's T R A D I G I 
TLA. Um, this was something that Jeffrey, evidently the folks at, at, at DreamWorks invented and began to push with the notion of, okay, so we're making a hand-drawn film, but it has a lot of CG in it. It has CG characters and CG backgrounds. So this isn't really a hand-drawn film. This is a tradigital film. And so if you love CG, you should come see our spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, or Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, because it has a lot of CG in it. This really did not work. Both of these films did so poorly at the box office. I mean, I... Spirit, uh, Stallion of the Cimarron cost $80 million to make, an additional $30 million to promote. I want to say during its entire run in North America, it only sold $73 million worth of, of tickets and overseas only 49 So, I mean, Katzenberg himself was quoted in a 2012 interview that, that we once made a film, or once made a movie called Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which was one of DreamWorks' least successful movies. But again, that's 2012. We jump ahead to April of 2016. Comcast buys DreamWorks Animation for $3.8 billion. And at that point, because Comcast wants to recover this sizable investment as quickly as possible, word comes down, you know, it's time to start mining DreamWorks back catalog. And there in the pile of projects that never quite delivered on their original promise is Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Only now... There's absolutely no pressure to deliver a film that has to play to four quadrants. This version, you know, whatever they're going to do with the, the Spirit IP, it only has to pay for, play to the audience that really, really, really likes horses. And that's Girls 4 to 12. And what, of course, helps here is that the year previous, 2013, DreamWorks Television Animation had signed a deal with Netflix. They had committed to creating 300 hours of exclusive original content for that streaming service. And so it's, it, you know, it, it's one of these things where Comcast is looking at that deal and looking at what they have with Spirit. And it's just like, do this, do, do, do this show for four to 12 year old girls. And so they commit to 52 half hour long episodes of a show that eventually became called Spirit Writing Free. It debuts in May of 2017. and immediately becomes what Jeffrey had wanted originally with this, a a smash hit. In fact, I, I wanted to share what Shannon Vaca, who's the vice president of franchise strategies at the Universal Brand Development, had to say about what's going on with Spirit right now. And she said, there's currently nothing like this show in the girls' space. Spirit Riding Free represents today's generation of independent, adventurous girls, and at the center of it is this wholesome narrative. This animated series uniquely and authentically owns that undeniable girl-horse bond, and girls are now living out the Spirit Riding Free series in real life through the toys and the books, as well as fashion, home, and other merchandise. Honestly, what's so funny is if you go right now to Target, yes, they actually have their Disney princess aisle, but as you turn the corner, there's a spirit aisle, Drew. I mean, and it's just toys, not only for the, the animated series, but it's toys for the feature film, which again comes out on June 4th. It used to be you really had to shoot for that, that four quadrant hit to really have a hit movie. And now to live in this streaming sphere 
where you have this piece of straight pipe for Star Wars fans or for Marvel fans or for little girls, 4 to 12, you can have an absolute smash and forget about the other three quadrants. You know, just sort of like, I have a piece of straight pipe, I can get straight to my audience. To bring this sort of full circle, where did Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron finally wind up? In your oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's one of the more interesting movies from the studio. Mm. I really like Sinbad a lot, too. Mm. It's a shame those movies didn't connect like they should have. I mean, that, and, and Rodel Dorado. No, know. no, they, they all have great charm. They have some amazing scenes, some wonderful characters. In fact, I was just reading today about Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas, where uh, Terry Ruscio, he and Ted Elliott wrote the initial screenplay for it. And he was just talking about how frustrated he was with the changes that were being made at DreamWorks at the time, where, you know, the original version of that story was much more in the Casablanca style. You know, it was, you know, Sinbad gave up the girl and went off to sea and had his adventures and DreamWorks tested it and didn't like the ending and decided Sinbad should get the end of the the film. And and the thing that particularly kind of nailed home that, okay, wrong film, wrong time, you know, and I can remember, it's a seafaring tale, it's adventure, it's it's got monsters, it doesn't connect with an audience. But the very next week, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl comes out, (laughs) and seafaring tale, monsters, anti-hero, and that launches a franchise that becomes a giant hit for Disney. It's crazy. Yeah, it's such a crapshoot. So that brings us to the tail end of this week's fine-tuning, folks. But that doesn't mean you, you, there aren't other great podcasts out there to listen to. And Drew, uh, you know, is actually the mastermind powerhouse behind three really great podcasts. We have Light the Fuse, Light the Wick, and the forthcoming Light the Fuselage, right? Yes, all under the Light the Wick name. Okay. I don't want you to think that there are three different podcasts out there. These are all under Light the Fuse. Got it. Um, got it. Yes, yeah. But yeah, we have some great, great episodes coming up. We've got our big Brian De Palma episode in mm-hmm. June. We're going to get dipped back into the Wick mm-hmm. universe with an interview with David Leach, mm-hmm. who, you know, he directed a little movie called Deadpool 2, another little independent movie called mm-hmm. Atomic Blonde. You know, you know, these are these are small projects mm. you know you might have Hobbs and Shaw maybe you've heard of that oh, so geez. that was really great mm. and um so yeah it's it's gonna be fun we got a lot of great stuff coming up Jim did I see today on Twitter is that correct today one year from today we, we get Mission yes. Impossible 7 yeah and not only that Jim but it's supposed to also be the one year Mission Impossible 7 and John Wick 4 are supposed to come out on the same day I don't think that will happen but okay it's very exciting to think about. It is. So, you know, the, the, so it's going to be interesting to see who blinks there. Yes. Uh, okay. And and again, after you listen to all of those ter- you know, terrific, you know, light the fuse ready podcast, yeah, we got a few shows over here too. Uh, we got Disney Dish with, with Len Testa. I'm going to be recording a new Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Uh, and then on Monday, Aaron Adams and I will sit down and do a uh, brand new Marvelous Disney where, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about the Eternals. Uh, and and the have you been watching the ads for Loki? Yes. In fact, there's a billboard for from Lo- for Loki right outside of my apartment. He's loom- He's watching me shower, Jim. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, tell you what, folks, if, you, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to here today, if you get out over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show, that would mean uh, a lot to, to Drew and I. Likewise, if you, you got a moment, also, you know, drop in a, a rate and a review of Light Diffuse because a great show des- you know, deserves to be here, here by more people. If you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And seriously, if you are not following Drew Taylor on Twitter, you are, are, are missing some, some genuinely funny, you know, and interesting <laughs> stuff. Uh, speaking of which, where are you now in your, you know, your Hollywood pictures mar- marathon? Well, I, I bought a bunch of awesome uh, Blu-rays from mm-hmm. Kino Lorber. They had a big sale, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of months ago. So I've got like so many forgotten touchdown mm-hmm. and Hollywood Blu-rays that I really need to to crack into. I really want to I wanted to watch Taking Care of Business for Charles Grodin, obviously. Yeah. I want to rewatch Nixon. Um I've been kind of itching to watch that again. Ooh, um yeah. so just a ton of stuff, Jim. Oh, okay. Jeez, it's been years since I've seen and and that's Oliver Oliver Stone's Nixon, yes, right? Yes. With Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Yes. Ooh, yeah, it's been years. Okay. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And uh, Jordan and I will be back soon with a new fine tuning. Take care, folks. <laughs>